You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as to any that had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's always good to be back here. Uh, For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Simon. used to come to this church years ago. And this church holds a really special place in my heart because when myself and my family came here, we were going through a, a kind of rough time in our lives and Jono was such a help to us and such a blessing to us and this church community was exactly what we needed and uh, I got a really good friend out of it, which was a great benefit as well. So we're really, really glad that we have had you people in our lives and it's great to come back every time that we do. Uh, talking to Jono about what to preach today, uh, he did say, "What's just preach what's been on your heart lately, and then I told him what I'd been studying, and he said, no, definitely don't preach about that. <laughs> and that was probably the right call as well. So he said, what about small groups? What about preaching for the biblical basis of small groups, how they benefit you? Uh, because you've got a small group ministry, which I think uh, is trying to emphasise a little bit at the moment. So that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to start by looking at the early church. Now, what do we mean by the early church? Well, when people say the early church, they're usually talking about the church in New Testament times. Uh, wonderful churches, impactful churches, churches that we want to be like. I don't mind the kids running around, by the way, that's okay. Um, In my job, I'm speaking and they're running around. I think it's cute, so that's cool, that's fine. And when we finish this sermon, hopefully you'll get an idea that the kind of churches that I'm thinking about when the kids were like everywhere, so that's fine, no problem. But just about every church plan starts with this idea of how can we look like the early church? And a lot of people, especially in kind of new style alternative churches, you probably know the ones I'm thinking about, they're very proud to say, our church is just like the early church. Now, that's a good thing. Trying to be like the early church is a very good thing. It's a noble goal. There's just one problem. Um, The early church is not a thing. There is no the early church. Now you could say the early churches but not the early church because there's lots of different kinds of early churches. Uh, If you have a look at the screen there's 
uh, four basic kinds up here that I kind of use when I think about the early church. And we're going to look at some of these today, but before we do, uh, we're going to look at something that is consistent in all of the early churches, because there were some good ones and there were some bad ones. Um, And so we want to kind of look at the good ones and try and follow them, and when people say our church is just like the early church, they're probably not thinking about the church in Corinth, because that was a bad kind of early church that we see, right? So there's lots of different kinds. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is a classic verse that people often use when talking about small groups, when talking about the kind of church that we want to be like, and it was in the reading that we had just before, and it says, they, that is the good early churches, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this particular verse is specifically talking about the earliest church in Jerusalem, But let's look at this for a second and I want to get some feedback from you about these things. So, when you see that phrase up there that says the Apostles' teaching, what what does that make you think of? They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. What's that? Yes, yes. And the Apostles exactly were, they were kind of parroting and repeating and maybe starting to expand a little bit on what they had learned from Jesus, particularly as they were looking back at the Old Testament, because that's all they knew, right? It was the Old Testament and then Jesus started looking at the Old Testament and there were new ways of looking at that and he brought this whole new thing and wow, they must have had a lot of questions about that. So they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. Exactly. And then fellowship. What kind of stuff do you think was involved in fellowship? Eating. Excellent. There was lots of eating in the early church. Good. What else? Singing. Yes, we know that um, in the Bible it talks about uh, when Jesus finished the Last Supper, they sung a hymn and left. And so there was some singing that happened. Probably not quite as much singing as what we do in our churches. Probably nowhere near as much. And we'll look at that in a moment. But yeah, there was some singing. So yeah, absolutely they sang. What else might have they done together? They looked after each other. Yes, they cared for specifically the widows. They cared for each other. They sold their properties sometimes to help provide funds for things and they looked after the poor, they shared a whole bunch of stuff. So all that stuff's involved in fellowship. Excellent, good. Breaking of bread, what's that? Are they just going around, you know, buying bakeries and stomping on them? What's what's the breaking of bread for those who are kind of new to church and don't know what some of our jargon means? What's the breaking of bread? Yes. Yes, so the new take on the old... Now, I'm repeating what you're saying so that the people listening on the internet can hear it, okay? The new take on the old Passover meal. So the Passover meal was a ceremony that the Jews did and it it signified their rescue. And so Jesus said, this is like when we rescued you from Egypt and now I'm rescuing you from your sins and all of that. And so they had like a whole meal, which our communion is like a tiny mini microcosm of. Is that all that the breaking of bread was, though? What else might it have been? Yes? 
Yeah. It was about remembering Jesus and Jesus said, whenever you do this, remember me. Which was specifically at the time of the Passover, whenever you do the Passover now, remember me. But, you know, they extended that out. But a lot of people feel that the breaking of bread wasn't a ceremony that they did. Or sometimes it was just whenever they ate together. The same way that we say we went to a restaurant and we broke bread together. It was just something that they all did uh, whenever they had a meal. And so it could be that they just had lots of meals together and whenever they had a meal together, they remembered Jesus. So there's all of that in all that that could be there. And also, well, prayer is an easy one. What's, what, what's prayer about? No one wants to answer the easy questions, do they? So I'll answer that one for you. Prayer is prayer, okay? It's, it's praying to God. That's, that's pretty a basic one. We know what that is. So if we want to look like the earliest churches, it has to look something like that, doesn't it? So let's think about what we do here in this building on a Sunday and maybe think about what you see in other churches on Sundays and all that kind of stuff. On a Sunday morning, how well or how poorly do we and other churches that you've been to and other churches that you might think of, how well or poorly do we do each of these things? So the Apostles' teaching, how, how, do, how do churches do with that? Are we okay at that on a Sunday morning? Yeah, most people are not. We probably do that. Fellowship. Give me some ideas about how you think that goes. It's, yep, in a small group it's good. But on a Sunday morning, here? Tea and coffee. Yeah, that's what you get at most Baptist churches and some Anglican churches and a lot of other denominations don't have anything, you know, and then you've got your ACC, used to call the AOG churches, they, they're, they're not tea and coffee, they're coffee, and they've got to have like a proper machine, right? People do it different ways, but it's around food because people like to gather, but how deep does the fellowship go on a Sunday morning? Probably not that deep, does it? So on a Sunday morning, we probably don't do that one really very well. Breaking of bread? Again, like a sayo biscuit or something, it's probably not what the Bible has in mind there, is it? It's not sitting around a meal and talking about your week and talking about, you know what, I'm really struggling with this and oh, I'm studying this in the Bible and I don't understand it. That, that's, that's not what happens on a Sunday morning, is it? And then prayer, well, we do a little bit of kind of formal prayer from the platform. And you guys do more than most churches because you like have a little prayer thing afterwards here where you can go and get prayer. But most churches, prayer is fairly formal. So really, we don't actually do that great at these things in most churches around Australia in our current time. And a big reason most churches struggle to do some of these things on a Sunday morning is the structures that we have inherited from generations before us. What do I mean by that? Well, there are certain expectations that have been inherited and handed down generation by generation by generation. And some of them come from a time when most people could not read. 
So the idea was that back when none of you could read, the special person up the front, particularly this guy here, was probably the only person in the village that could read. And so he had special knowledge. And on a Sunday morning, you could come and hear him talk for hours about all this stuff that you would never know because you can't read. And if you had a question about God, well, he was the only one that could read the Bible, so you had to go to him to get that because you couldn't read it for yourself. And a lot of our church structures are inherited from that time. And as time goes on, they just didn't change all that much. And so the church building where the priest was, that was a special place and it became a more and more special place to hear the very smart, holy, educated priest tell you what the Bible says. And sometimes in our Western history, the priests weren't doing a very good job of that. But we had this holy building that you came to for that. And then there's other expectations that are on us simply by the shape of our buildings. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a quote here that's going to come up on the screen from Winston Churchill and he said, we shape our buildings, thereafter our buildings shape us. What does that mean? What are you reading that? What do you think that means? Do you understand that? Yeah, so that's the shape of our building. We set up our churches like a lecture hall, like as you said, one person, everybody's facing the front, so everything's facing here. And so the, the shape of our gathering place actually determines what kind of thing we're going to have happening on a Sunday morning. And that's a huge thing in our churches. Basically, we're pretty restricted in what we can do because of the setup of our halls. Now, your church, not so much, because you don't have pews. But a lot of churches have pews that are kind of bolted down into the concrete. They're stuck. So the shape of their building affects how they do their worship, their church services. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the buildings that the early churches used and have a look at, well, how did the shape of their buildings shape what their worship and their stuff that we looked at before looked like. How did it do that? So, some of the earliest buildings the churches used. The temple in Jerusalem. This is from the reading we had before. This is where it happened. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. What do we know about this space? Well, we know it was controlled by the Pharisees. That's a big thing. The Pharisees controlled this space and they didn't like the early church. So that had a big impact on what the church did in this building. For example, the part that you're looking at there on the screen, the early church didn't meet there, that's the part where you did all your sacrifices. So that was full of people slaughtering animals and doing ceremonies and offering incense and waving bread and wheat and all. That was a very formal place. Note, the church did not meet in there. We're going to look at some other pictures later on to see, well, where did the early church meet? But we know it was controlled by the Pharisees. So the church was pretty restricted. They couldn't do this. 
They couldn't have done a public thing like this in that building. Uh, there was structured worship here, so part of what the church did in the early days was they did come into that space and do their sacrifices, and then when the sacrifices were finished, they left that space and did their other things. So in the early days, sacrifices were, the Old Testament system was mixed in. But probably the most important thing to understand is that most of the temple area was actually a park. Now we don't think of it like that, but I had the privilege when I was at Bible College to have dinner with this guest lecturer who came, and it's one of the great things about Bible colleges, when guest lecturers come in, you might get a chance to sit down and talk and ask them all these questions, and I, I kind of hit this guy with a whole bunch of questions one time, and he was an expert on the temple. And he said, well, yeah, most of the temple was actually a park. So, like, think of grass and trees and all that. Now, in the Middle East, there's not much grass, right? They don't have lawn like we think of. But if it was in our day, that's what it would be. It would be a bit like the botanical gardens. People come and they gather and they have meals together and all of that. And it was designed like that because you go into this room. I keep pointing there because I'm looking at that screen. You go into this room and you do your sacrifice... And part of the sacrifice is that you, you roast the meat and then the priests get some and you take the rest away and you have to eat it with your family. What does that mean for a little kid? That means that temple day is the best day of the week. You imagine it. They, they're kind of on like dry biscuits and water and stuff most of the time. It wasn't great eating back. You come to the temple though. That's roast day. The whole family comes you have the sacrifice in the temple, you come out, you've got this beautiful roast lamb, it's huge, you go out to the park, you meet the cousins, they're doing the same thing, you spread out the picnic mat, you all sit there, you eat, you've got the market going on, you know when Jesus did the whip and drove them out, that's all going on, kids love that kind of thing. There's your cousins there, your friends are there, everybody's there, mum brings some extra food, some veggies and stuff, it's the best day of the week. It's a party day. And then after dinner, like, parents sit around and talk or whatever, and the kids just go play hide-and-seek in the park. That was church in the Old Testament. And then maybe around the temple, because if the temple's a gathering place, what's going to be around the temple? Victoria Markets is going to be around the temple, isn't it? So you're going to go and get your beads and your whatever and your this and your that. It was a big day. It was the best day of the week. That's what church looked like back then. So, let's go to the next slide. I'm going to show you some other pictures. So, you can see the red arrow is this bit we were zooming on before. This is the rest of the place. And on that outside area is where people spent most of their time. Informally, just talking and chatting so you look at that picture and you say, well, where did the early church meet? Because again, it's, you've got the temple guards, you've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, all of that not wanting the church there. So where did the church meet? Where did they gather? Go to the next slide. See the edges there? What's called the colonnades? I wonder if they met in there. Now, it could be that under those colonnades is where the market was. I kind of think it's a bit squishy for that. Maybe the market was out more in the parkland. It's a bit hard to know, but where did they gather? Because they had to kind of have little sneaky hiding spots, sort of. 
they at least had to meet in small enough groups that they wouldn't attract too much attention. Go to the next slide. If they met in the colonnades, there it is. Maybe they just kind of hung out in there. And I imagine, well, what did it look like? Well, I think what it looked like was the apostles came on Monday and just spread themselves out and they sat there and people would come and find them. Hey, I was reading this in Isaiah and I can't figure out, what do you reckon that means? And so they'd discuss it. That's what I think dedicating themselves to the apostles' teaching means. And so then we go on to another form of church, which is, oh yeah, go to the next slide because I've got another slide there for you. Yeah, so we've already talked about this. What, so what was going on? A couple of things that are different was, well, they had the formal worship, which was the sacrifices, we talked about that. The music, background, optional. You didn't have to sing. The music was happening in that formal area, kind of as background, like a choir doing background music to the sacrifices. Once you got out into the park, I don't know, maybe Grandpa brought along his little lute and sang something, but there wasn't like what we do here. The main focus was the discussion with the apostles. Okay, on to the next slide. An early house church. So the next part of those verses says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favour of all the people. So, this is in houses. What did this look like? Well, food was an emphasis. This is very much the fellowship thing, right? They went to each other's houses and they had dinner together. And that's about it. And what happens when you're having dinner together? Well, then you start to talk about what's important to you. And what was most important to them was all this Jesus stuff that they had now started turning to. It was very natural. It just happened over dinner. And the praising their God, praising God part, again, I don't think that was singing so much. I think that was sharing stories because so much was happening. People were getting healed and this was happening and I learned this and oh, God revealed this to me and that was the praising God. It wasn't so much music. Again, might have been a little music and we're going to look at that later on at the map. Yeah, bring up, why don't we bring up the map now? This is kind of a map of an early Greco-Roman typical kind of house. Um, maybe people might say this is not so much Jerusalem, but maybe it was, but this is the kind of typical architecture of the time. That front, that photo we were looking at before is the atrium. There's a hole in the middle, let all the rain through, and you had like a fountain, a water thing, like a fish tank type thing, but probably no fish, and that's where the water was, where you got your water, came through the roof of the house. And that was the gathering place. And then you had these rooms to the side. Uh, you had a room for a poor family, Poor people could come and hang out with you. You had your shop at the front, so this is before COVID, they were like working from home, right? So you had your shop at the front. You had where it says chapel, that used to be your temple to the gods. But for Christians, they would have changed that probably into maybe a prayer room or something. And then out the back, that's not got a roof. That's your little terraced garden so that you could grow your vegetables. And your servants might live out the back and the kitchen's out the back and all those kinds of things are happening there. So you think about that kind of setup where it says they were gathering in their homes. What were they doing? Well, I think they kind of scattered all over the place. And if you were a person who was musical and you liked to sing, you probably went out to the garden and started doing a tune and when somebody got bored of the preacher or whoever was talking in the atrium well they could just go out to the back garden and they'd join you for a little sing-along 
I think there were lots, and if you needed prayer, well, you might go to the chapel. And I think there were four or five things happening all at once in the houses because it wasn't formal. And so you'd come in and you'd find out, what do I feel like doing today? I feel like being by myself, I'll go into the prayer room. Now I feel like a bit of a sing-along, I'll go out into the garden. That was probably the kind of thing that was happening in the houses. It was all happening all at once. Let's go on to the, that. So, so maybe that's kind of what they were doing when it says that they broke bread in their homes and they ate together and praised God and all that kind of stuff. Let's go on to church number three. This is a little bit later on. Paul is now kind of doing his missionary thing all over the place and this is called Paul's tent-making phase. What does that mean? Well, in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, let's have a little look at it here. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, it says, After this he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, and Paul came to them. And since they were the same occupation, tent makers, he stayed with them and worked. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Now in verse 4 there it says he reasoned with them every Sabbath. But that's only one day a week. What did he do the other days? Well the other days he wasn't at the synagogue. He was tent making. Now if we go maybe, can we go back with your program? Can we go back to the previous slide? Oh, good job. He was in the shop at the front of the house. He was sitting there with Aquila and sewing their tents, making their stuff. People were coming in to buy, however that worked. What did church look like? Well, church looked like people on their way to the market and they go and get their stuff and then on the way home they're like, oh, I've got this question, I'm going to drop into Paul's shop and ask him. And so while he's working away every day, sewing his tents, people are dropping in, asking him questions. So church was all week. It was a drop-in centre. You know, a drop-in centre like for youth where they can come in any time and play video games or whatever? That's what it was. Church tent making was a drop-in centre where you could just... And so it wasn't large gatherings of people. It was... Paul making tents during the week and you would drop into the shop and have a chat and ask him what was going on. The main emphasis there was discussion. It was questions. And now we go on to our last church that we're going to look at, number four. This is Paul in what's called the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now all the kids are like, oh, dinosaurs. No, that's in Genesis. Well, this is a different fella, it's not a dinosaur, but his now name sounds like it, right? The lecture hall of Tyrannus. What was this? Well, in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 10, um, we read that, I've got the wrong reference up there, it's Acts 19, but that's okay. It's 19 if you want to look it up at home. Um, he rented a lecture hall. Now, Tyrannus obviously had like a university type setup going on and he was using that. And Paul rented a space, I imagine it was probably at lunchtime, when Tyrannus and all his students were out. Maybe some of the students stayed, maybe other people came in, but Paul rented this space 
And he would have done what in those days was the Socratarian kind of lecture. So it wasn't him up giving a lecture, it was him standing up here taking questions. So again, what we see here is that the main emphasis of this type of church was questions from the floor. So, what does all of that mean? Well, the one thing that we see that's a common denominator in all four of those churches is questions. In my mind, that's the biggest difference between the early churches and modern church. Here, you don't get to ask questions. We just feed you stuff and you sit there and listen to it. If you want. Sometimes people sleep. I've seen that before too. It's a great place for a little nap. But our congregations don't ask questions. Well, and there could be lots of reasons why that. And one big one is that we just don't give you the opportunity to ask questions. Small groups give you that opportunity. So, in answering Jono's question about what's the biblical mandate for small groups, you get to ask your questions. And in the early churches, that's what they were doing more than anything else. The congregation was asking questions. Now, people don't want to ask questions in this big group because... What if it's a dumb question? But if you're in a small group with some people that you know and trust and you know that they're not going to kind of bag you out for asking the question, you'll ask it and what you'll find, most of them say, is, oh, I was asking that question too. And your confidence builds and you start asking questions. The early church had lots of questions. They had big questions. And what they did together was search for the answers. And just about the only place you're going to be able to do that in the kinds of buildings that we have and the kind of church traditions that we have is at someone's house in a regular small group kind of Bible study. Now, speaking of questions, here's one of the things. Everybody has different questions. Let me give you an example. Well, a great example is actually when Jono said, well, just speak about what's on your heart. And I said, what's on my heart? And he said, no, don't talk about that. Because my congregation is not interested in that. That's exactly what happens all the time. The person up the front is telling you stuff you might not be interested in. And everybody has different questions. Your pastor spends all week studying. Your pastor dedicated several years of his life to studying the Bible, something that most of you probably are not really wanting to do. And so he's asking different questions to you. A pastor is asking really kind of high-level, complex theological questions, and most people are not wanting to know those things. When I preach, and hopefully when most preachers preach, they try and do this, but I can tell you what's really hard to do this, is to try to imagine, well, what is it that the congregation is asking? Will the things that I'm talking about be interesting? Am I answering the questions they have? And sometimes there's things that I'd like to talk about, but I don't talk about them because I feel like, well, you must already know that, and you'll think that's boring. And so I look for other things and then I start to become more complicated and tricky and then I hear afterwards that nobody was interested in that after all. They wanted to know the simple stuff that I didn't talk about. That's what's hard for a preacher. 
You might be wanting to hear about different things to what we're talking about up here and you might be... So that's why the small group that I run, it's just questions. I try not to prepare anything. I'm in two small groups, one with Guy over here um, where we do... But then I've got another one which I do with another group of people and that's just questions. We say, this is the passage we're looking about, you send in your questions and we answer those questions. Because I don't know what they're wanting to know and sometimes the stuff they ask is stuff that I would have never talked to them about. Small groups should be about learning how to ask really good questions and then learning how to find those answers together. That's the first biblical mandate for small groups because we don't get to ask questions here. And if you want to be like the early church, you've got to ask questions. And the second big reason for being a part of a strong small group is that small groups put the emphasis for spiritual growth in your own hands, where it should be. Here's what the Bible says about how the early churches did it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, speak, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I want you to notice, who is doing the teaching and admonishing? Who's doing it? Everyone teaching and admonishing one another. No one wants the pastor doing the admonishing in the church. Now, if you know the word admonishing, that means telling you off. The Bible here says that you should be correcting each other. The pastor shouldn't be the one correcting you. And there's a good reason for that, because as soon as the person up the front starts telling you off, you're not coming back next Sunday. That's kind of how it works. You need your friends to admonish you and to correct you and that's where discipleship happens um, when I was an interim at some various churches in the past I'd come to visit everybody and get to know them and most of them were well, why are you here, what have I done wrong I'm like, I'm coming to say hello yeah but I must have done something wrong, no no I'm just here to say hello, oh our old pastor never visited us, he only came when something was wrong, that's not how it should be and a lot of people feel like that. If the pastor's coming to talk to me, it must be because he's coming to tell me off. No, the pastor should not be the one telling you off. You should admonish one another. And the pastor kind of helps you answer your questions. That's how it's supposed to work. We should be exhorting each other to good deeds, not waiting for the pastor to come and tell us off. So, I've got a ton more stuff, but I'm going to wrap it up there because my little watch has told me that we've gone like past time. So we're going to finish. So what... In answer to Jono's question, what, what are, does the Bible say about small groups? The early churches were asking questions. You can only do that in small groups. Um, the early churches were taking care of their character and discipleship with each other. The pastor doesn't do that for you on a Sunday morning, so you've got to be in a small group for that to happen. If you want that kind of personal growth, that's got to be in a small group. Now... To, to close off. Some of you might be saying, well, that's a terrible sermon. That had nothing personally for me to help me be a better person. Yeah, that's why Sundays are no good for you. You need to be in a small group. <laughs> right? Because sometimes you're going to come and the, the preacher's going to be terrible. You're not going to get much out of it. That's kind of the point. So thank you for proving that by thinking the thoughts that you had. That's why you need to be in a small group. 
the preacher might not answer your questions. Now, obviously you're coming here because Jono does answer the kind of questions you have and it kind of evens itself out. That's how it works. But really, we need to be taking care of our own growth and we can take the questions that we have from here and I think it's a pretty good structure that you've got here. The way they do it, I don't know if all your small groups are doing this, but Guy's group, they, you guys like listen to the sermon and you write down questions and then you come to the group and then we go, all right, well, we didn't really listen to much of the sermon, but I had this question and we talk about those questions together. So there you go. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Hopefully you've got something out of that. There's a whole bunch more stuff that small groups do, like they do pastoral care better than anything else and they help new people better than anything else and all those kinds of things. But hopefully I've shown you a little bit in the Bible about why a small group is going to help you a whole lot Uh, even more than what you get on a Sunday morning here. So that'll do for me. Uh, I haven't looked at my run sheet, so am I handing to you next? Great.